are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. This week's episode of the Traditional Outdoors Podcast is brought to you by Everglades Angling and Eco Tours. Everglades Angling specializes in backcountry kayak fishing trips in Florida's Everglades, but also offers friendly kayak tours in Miami. Jim Desias, the founder of Everglades Angling and Eco Tours, has been guiding in South Florida since 2003. Jim will guide you as you paddle your way through mangrove tunnels that open into hidden lakes with rolling tarpon and eager snook. Cast your line and hang on as your flower lure is attacked by aggressive snook or tarpon. This is close quarters fishing where you can often see your offering get eaten, often followed by the hooked fish going airborne. Closer to Miami, Everglades Angling offers kayak trips for peacock bass. Peacock bass attract anglers from all over the world because of their aggression and fighting ability. In the Miami-Fort Lauderdale area, Jim offers three-hour kayak tours that are great for the entire family. He calls these his unplugged tours, and they have become popular with folks wanting to connect with their kids or spouse in an outdoor, distraction-free setting. Although close to the Miami skyline, you'll feel as if you're in a remote location with incredible bird life, manatees, and the occasional dolphin sighting. For more information, visit www.evergladesangling.org and follow Jim on Facebook and Instagram at Everglades Angling and on his YouTube channel, Jim Dusias. Now on to the show. And welcome to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast, everyone. We've got uh, somebody special on the line here today. We mentioned this last week in our episode. Um, we're going to spend tonight talking a little bit about bamboo fly rods, maybe from a different perspective than what you'd imagine, because Derek's got quite a story. But how you doing, Derek? I'm doing well, Steve. Thank you very much. Good to hear. Good to hear. Mr. Nick, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. How about you, man? Uh, you know, I'm I'm doing pretty good. I can't really complain. Uh, Tired of being inside. Had a had a had a good Father's Day. I hope both you gentlemen had a good Father's Day. Yeah, I did. I had a great Father's Day. Lots of bass fishing. Got to take that uh, spray three weight out. That glass rod caught twenty plus bass all on one woolly bugger, <laughs> a number ten. And that thing is. I think I should bronze it. That thing is chewed. <laughs> you won't. chewed up. Yeah, I know. You're, you're it too is cheap. Absolutely chewed up. Yeah. <laughs> the, 50, the, the fifty cents it cost me. Yeah, I just, I'll just retie some stuff back on it and throw it back in there. It might be lucky now. Yeah, I don't know. Well, and Derek, I heard you got into some fish this Father's Day too, huh? I did. Yeah, my youngest son and I got out after dinner on on Sunday and and hit the Kalamazoo River here and and uh, had a tremendous night. It was great. Um, it was a gorgeous night to fish. God, the weather was great. Yeah, water was good. Yeah, it was it was awesome, spectacular. Yeah. Just doing some wait yep. wait wait wet waiting and uh, enjoying it. Yep. So Derek, I was I was I was thinking about this. I'm sorry, Nick. Go ahead. I didn't even cut you off. No, I was going to ask if you got out fishing, Steve. No, I didn't. I was I was making strings. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm like a broken record, but that's all right. Um, so uh, uh, Derek, I was going to ask you. I can't remember. I know when. Uh, I guess that's been. It was. I think it was the last camp we had at andrew's place uh we recorded an episode did you participate in that one i honestly can't remember who i was on that i know we had a bunch of people sitting in a circle i i was there yes and, that's what uh, I, I thought you were so rick so stole the show it, so i just was pretty quiet 
What's that now? I think Rick stole the show. So, so I was, <laughs> yeah. his Barry White you know, imitations or whatever. And what? They are, they, I do remember the Barry White comment. And what is up with that? He's about the quietest person in the camp <laughs> until you put a microphone on him. And <laughs> he becomes Barry White. <laughs> that smooth voice. Uh <laughs> But yeah, uh, so if if people do listen to the show regularly, they have been introduced to you before. But if you haven't, well, well, I want to talk about that just a little bit before we get into the fly rod stuff. But so uh, I I actually met you the first time at Wild Things, and that's been I'm trying to remember the year. It probably was around two thousand fifteen. Yeah, something like that. Uh, it's either 15 or 16 i can't remember but uh yep the the so and and briefly met you in camp really didn't get to talk to you much that first night and the next night was when uh or the next day rather everybody was out still hunting it was tom's birthday right and uh uh you came you just kind of materialized out of the swamp <laughs> that morning i that's how I met him. I did. <laughs> <laughs> I, did uh, I didn't, but pretty, but pretty close. Unless you, unless you call the bog at Compton the swamp. <laughs> I think my, that might have been the first time I saw him. Might have been GLLI too. The, I don't know. The, the same, the same bog that one day is going to be an archaeological dig because of all the air shafts that's lost into that. From shooting at the mosquitoes and so forth. <laughs> there have to be thousands back there. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> 10,000 years from now, there'll be a bunch of archaeologists, archaeologists trying to figure out what the heck was going on uh, in that in that swamp. Was it, uh, <laughs> was it Compton or GLI that used to have the the mosquito on the on the big? Uh, uh, Lever arm, the big, the big that, log. That's Compton. Com- Compton. That was Compton. That's where. That's what I'm talking Compton. about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, because I know the an arrow across that swamp. The first, the first year we went there, uh, I don't know how many, and and I'm not so. F- first and foremost, I sent one or two down in the swamp too, but <laughs> I just remember Bella got the biggest kick out of shooting at that mosquito. I don't know how many arrows ended up down in that swamp, but uh, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, that that same that was the that was the same morning, and I think we've actually, I know we've talked about it. That was the same morning that I came sneaking back into camp because, like I said, it was the first time I I hunted with you guys, and I went out and hunted that night um, till I don't know one or two o'clock in the morning. And God, it was cold. Yeah, that's right. And came and came sneaking back into camp, trying not to wake everybody up and open the door. And oh my God, I've never heard such a racket in my life. <laughs> and that's when I started sleeping on the couch. Um, there was no way I was going to try to sleep in those bunks <laughs> with that crew. Uh, but then the next morning, Tom talked me into getting up and we ran into you and, uh, I ended up shooting that pig that morning. Yeah, you did shoot a pig. Yeah. Right after I saw you guys, I think you, you stumbled into him. Yeah. That, uh, I, I conveniently forgot my rubber boots that morning. So Tom had to cross the swamp and I was hunting on the same side you were on. But, but anyway, we've shared, we've shared quite a few camps since then. Quite a few. Yeah. And hopefully quite a few more. I'm hoping we're um, we need to start talking about Hambush 2021. That's going to be here before we know it. It will be. It, yeah. <laughs> the way it goes, yeah, it's like what happened to June? Oh my god, it's gone. Um <laughs> and I think I think next year I'm gonna, I'm going to bring a fly rod along with me too. 
um, if, especially if we if we hunt uh, South Georgia again like we did like we did this year. Um, Absolutely, and I hope we do. That was a lot of fun. It was. Still, it was. And it's. Uh, oh, go ahead, guys. No, go ahead, Nick. No, I was going to say it's. Uh, time seems to. Time seemed to have sped up this year, without having shoots. <laughs> it's really really weird. Like, usually, because you know we all like kind of live shoot to shoot in the summer. You know, you're going one place to the next to the next to the next, and you're looking forward to the next thing. And without any of that. It's like, oh God, it's June. Oh, it's July. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> are we in are we in hunting season yet? <laughs> yeah. Well, Nick, I got news for you. That's just that comes with age, you know. All of a sudden you go, What the hell happened? So I got that going for me. Yeah, he's going he's to. going he's gonna he's gonna figure it out soon enough. Yes, he will. <laughs> he's gonna figure it out soon enough. So yeah, this year at um, this year at, and I knew you were doing, I knew you were doing the bamboo rods, but you brought a couple of them to to camp this year. And I'll be honest, as soon as I saw them, I was like, yeah, we we got to get you on the <laughs> on the podcast just to talk about this. But Nick was Nick. We were talking last week when we recorded Nick and I about um, the difference in the in the between the bamboo and the graphite and the 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 glass um what's the, i'd love to hear your thoughts on that Derek, because i know you've you've i think you've fished with all three haven't you oh yeah um you know the the parallels to traditional archery are striking um you know not one material is better than the other um now you could probably say that on some forums and then start you know a war that would last ages but (laughs) um just like you know go on to a trad thing and start talking about you know expandable broadheads or something and see what happens but um you know but they all are a little different and it's like and it's like archery you know you you know steve shoots a shoots uh what do you shoot you shoot those uh those saint charles bows and nick you shoot a St. Joe bow. I shoot, um, what was I shooting? I was shooting my, my, uh, Northern Miss, right? We all pick up these bows and, and, and they speak to you, right? You know, um, it, it's not, it, you know, it, it's, if you're not into archery, it's, it's more, it's like, you know, some guys are Ford guys, some guys are Chevy guys. So then they're all trucks, right? But, you know, arguably. You, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, um, and so, <laughs> you know, I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't want to, I mean, I'll go out on a limb and say, I really, I'm really enjoying the bamboo as a material and, and what it can do, um, you know, and, uh, uh, and it's, of course it's, it's steeped in, in just deep history, you know, and then it was really the, the, the advent of world war two and, and, and fiberglass that brought back, brought in the modern you know, materials was right about then. And then it was probably, I don't know, sometime during the space race, right? Note that the, that the, the graphite came into being and, and, uh, um, you know, and they all have their, they all have their pros and cons and they all have, they all have their, their, they're uniquely suited for certain conditions and some other conditions they might not be so good at. And that's the kind of the neat thing where you, you can kind of, you know, tweak it if you want um 
So, um, but no, I've been a fly fisherman um, for my whole life. I mean, my, my grandparents were fly fishermen in, in uh, Wyoming. And I have a picture of my grandmother in the 30s on my, on my bookshelf uh, when they're hippers and her fly rod. So, um, you know, I've been fly fishing my whole life. And uh, um, it's just something I think, I don't know. Nick's kind of new at it, but I mean, it, 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 if you get into fly fishing, it, it'll hit you deep. I mean, it's a fun way to fish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, you know, since then I fished, I fished the salt. I fished, I fished for anything with a fly rod. I was out in the, I have a picture of me out in the surf in Oregon, um, near the, near Tillamook, which is kind of, what, where is that in Oregon? So in the north, north coast. You know, I'm dancing around the waves because I read this article about these uh, surf perch that flush up up and down inside the breakers, and yeah, they're that's it, they're real, and you can fish them, and you fish these little woolly booger looking shrimp imitations, and and you cast right into the rollers, and then you got to back up and and you bring them up on. And you know, I had all these people watching me on the shore, going, "What the hell is that idiot doing?" Um, but I had a great time, tremendous time. Um, so. Um, but ain't it ain't it funny how you can just catch just about anything on a woolly bugger? <laughs> it's just, just the colors change. <laughs> woolly buggers and and I tell you what I've 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 since I've gotten into these bamboo stuff I've I've been reading old like 1950s books on fly tying and stuff and uh, and and bucktails. I'm a big fan of bucktails right now. They're stupid easy to tie and they work really 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 well and. Uh, you know, three three materials and you're done. You know, and I'm like, that's my kind of fly. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. I've I've been up to uh, Canada with my dad in '93. We went up to northern Saskatchewan and um, and I brought a seven weight and a, a five weight and a seven weight and we were fishing pike and uh, lake trout and Arctic char and well, I was catching them all on the fly rod, right at ice out uh in uh, in late spring and uh it was it was great i mean nothing like big pike on flies um just man i've i've always wanted to do that it is fun you uh you uh stripping them in then oh yeah 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 and yeah. you know and the funny thing was i could I, I was using i remember i used a lot of marabou flies at the time and i and i would cast and my dad would put a jig right next to it and i'd get the fish and He'd do it again, and I'd cast, and I'd he'd cast right next to me, and the fish would hit my fly. And, uh, and I remember halfway through, I brought my, some fly tying gear. I tied him up a bunch of marabou jigs, and he started catching them. There's something about the marabou was turning these fish mm-hmm. on, but um, but it was uh, it was a lot of fun. It was, it's definitely my favorite way to fish. Um, yeah, it's great. So, how would you say that on the bamboo rods? Derek, the difference between how a bamboo rod loads and how a glass rod loads, like how similar, how similar is it? How different is it? Well, well, first of all, bamboo rods are a little heavier generally. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a technique you can use called hollow building, which is, you know, kind of a really advanced technique of building a bamboo rod, but, um, that'll lighten them up. But the, um, you know, that that's a loaded question, uh, Nick. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, because, um, 
I, I don't know what you what if, if you know anything about rod design and how rods are made and how rods get their action. And any rod, no matter what it's made out of, gets its action based on its taper and how it goes from the it tapers from the butt down to the down to the tip. And um, whether that's a fast or slow taper, whether it 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 it, it might you know be fast in some sections and then and then not so fast in other sections in other words it might taper quicker you know in the butt section and not so fast in the tip or or vice versa um and that'll change the action of the rod tremendously um and so you know what you have to ask is two rods of the similar taper what do you like better <laughs> oh okay because you know like it, it's because it's that's it's that's where the comparison, I mean, that's what you really have to compare because it really is apples and oranges if you've got two different tapers. If I make a really slow taper, well, slow taper, if I make a really, uh, um, if I make a bamboo rod that has a particular taper that makes it a slow action rod, so it's mm-hmm. going to load with a lot slower tip speed on the cast. It's going to have a little wider loop in the in the line. And um, and if you're used to a rod that is has a faster tip speed that has a narrower loop, you know you might not like it. Um, again, that's the back to the bow analogy. You like a bow of certain design, and someone else likes a bow of another design. Um, back in the '90s, when I was fishing. Um, I was building I was building graphite rods out of uh, sage second blanks that I'd pick up at the fly shop and in, in when I was going to school in Montana, and um, you know and, and you know we always used to say well you want a fast action rod for the big water out west because you got big water you're casting a long ways and you got a lot of wind and so you don't want you want a tight loop, but you know it all depends I mean. I've since then. I mean, I think I can, I, I can get it. I can get any at the same distance out of my, out of my bamboo rods as I can out of my graphite rods. That's not a problem. It's just how it feels, how it loads, how it casts. Um, you know, it. You you kind of be you kind of got to be an aficionado of the fly cast and be really understand the mechanics of what's going on. And when you say tip speed and loading, and loops and and Otherwise, you just, you know, you're the sure. you're the car guy that doesn't know how to wrench on the car, right? You're, you're, <laughs> and uh, um, you know, and I, I I didn't know that was uh I didn't know that was in the taper, honestly. Like I did I I don't know very much about fly rod design per se. I I know more like I thought that boiled down to weight and materials and stuff like that and the type of line. And I didn't, I didn't think that it was in the taper or the way the rod was built. I figured that all blanks and stuff were kind of tapered the same. Yeah, no, Um, they're, you know, they're very different. I mean, that's why guys like Scott's over Winston's or they like a Thomas rod or they like a Sage or they like an Orvis or, you know, because they all have their own, their own tapers and they, you know, because of the, of the way the vamp or the graphite and the fiberglass is made, I mean they they make a stainless steel mandrel. I think it's stainless anyway, but it's a steel mandrel that they roll the material on and then bake it to get the in the 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 mandrel that they make out of metal is is determines the taper, right? Um, and I do that by planing strips of bamboo, um, 
with a hand plane, I can get I get the taper that I want. And uh, um, so with the with the um, with with the modern material, you kind of got to find the one you like because you know you might really like an Orvis rod, but you might not really you know you might like that over over a Loomis rod for some reason. Mm-hmm. because that's just how you that's your casting cadence it's how you like to cast it's kind of going to match up to the rod no that's a really good explanation no i i uh, yeah i mean you know usually when like somebody like like if, if somebody's trying to explain something to me like that like with tom i kind of just like zone out but i got that <laughs> totally <laughs> well thank you wow so wow. tom if you're tom if you're listening yeah, sorry tom um i mean hmm. just i mean just walked up and slapped you right in the face I'm just, just i'm just messing with tom i want to see if tom's listening <laughs> that's all right <laughs> so a couple of things you said there uh derek and and i want to throw my my two cents worth in for what it's worth which is probably less than two cents um one Winston Scott, man, I can't afford those rods. I'd love, I, and you know, I don't even know if I would. I, I don't even know if I would love to own one. Um, uh, just, I'll be honest. Some of them, I've looked at the prices of them, and I'd be afraid to fish with them. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, I get that. Yeah, but in, but in what I was, what I was trying, what I was, and probably didn't do a good job explaining to Nick. Um, and I did, I did say that the. The, the rods do feel heavier because I cast two of yours and they were a, you'll have to remind me what weights were those again, Derek, the two uh, that you had in the seven footer was a five weight and the, what was it? An eight footer. Yeah. The eight footer is a, was a six weight, six weight and a five weight. So they, they definitely felt heavier than like the five weight definitely feels heavier than my five weight, but my mm-hmm. five weight is a, um, lefty cray, um, TICRX TFO rod and it's it's extremely light. It weigh I mean it weighs absolutely nothing. Um, the and I I think the heavy that's the heaviest rod I actually own right now. I used to own a nine weight, but I spent way too much money on it and went fishing with it one time. Had a blast with it catching sheep's head, but sure. it just it just didn't make sense to keep it for what I had in it. But. Um, I almost compare, and Nick wouldn't have a reference on this. You probably do, maybe. The first fly rod I ever owned was a fiberglass rod, but it was many years ago. It was heavy. It was cumbersome. It it wasn't the best quality by any means. But, I, it, you know, my memory tells me that the weight was about what I was feeling with those rods, but there was definitely a much better quality in the way you were able to cast them. And it did take, it took a few minutes to get used to the way those rods load when you're used to fishing with what, and, and I, you know, I, I've never heard the taper thing explained that way, but at the same time, if I'm, I have to go off of feel and maybe that's, maybe that's my casting style. But if I've got a three-weight, because I do, I own two, I've got a three-weight uh, glass rod and I've got a three-weight um, graphite rod. And while I'm sure taper plays some into it, there's just a different feel to casting both of those rods. Um, well, what we, part need, of, what we need to I'm do, sorry? Steve, is, um, sorry, I'm interrupting, but. That's okay. Um, no. You know, 
next time we meet, hopefully I'll have a three-weight bamboo rod finished. And and then I have another, I have a two, at least two other three-weight rods and we bring them all. And then, so they're all three weights. And then you see, and then, and then you start casting and see which one right. feels the best. I mean, um, you know, cause you know, one of those rods will, you know, if you had, if you had three or four, three weight rods sitting there ready to go, one of those is probably going to match your cadence pretty well. And, uh, the other ones you have to match your cadence to the rod. Like you just said, you, once you get used to it and you kind of feel it, then you, you, you figure it out. But there are some rods you'll just pick up that'll match your cadence and, it, and you'll just right. think it's the best thing you've ever picked up. And and it might not be the one that I pick up. Well, for for years, my favorite my favorite rod period has been a uh, St. Croix uh, Legend Ultra 3-weight. Sure. And when, when I got the 3-weight that Scott made me, uh, it's a it's a blue halo three-weight glass rod. I love casting them both, but there's just so much more that I feel in that glass rod. And it's hard to explain, mm-hmm. but I mean, I can, I can feel when the line loads and I can, it, it's like I, I have a better executed cast with it. And again, it may not be the material. Uh, it may be the taper on the rod. Um, I get more, I get more feel even up to the handle when I'm, you know, if I'm, if I'm, uh, swinging a, uh, uh, right. streamer or if I'm drifting a, a nymph, I can just, I've got more feel to it. And don't get me wrong. That, that St. Croix is a fantastic rod. So that's the part about the bamboo that I, you know, I, I you know, some of those things you would actually have to fish it. You're just not going to get it, you know, <laughs> fishing and uh, lawn fishing. No, but no, you can. And, and those particular rods that I built are are a, are a very unique taper. You're never going to find in a in a. Well, I, I shouldn't say never because someone will find one. But they're para, they're called parabolic tapers, and they're designed to bend all the way through the cork. And, um, you know, going back to the arch, archery analogy, it'd be like a bend through the handle of longbow, right? Um, and if you learn how to load that rod, it will almost cast itself. And once you figure out how all that bending and what that bending is doing for you, um, all of a sudden, um, it's it's a it's it it comes alive. When you first pick it up after coming off of a graphite, you're like, oh my god, this is a noodle. Who the hell can you fish this thing? And then you just you know, like you, you got to work into it if it's not your style. But once you figure out that it's that you got to slow down a little bit, you got to re, you got to really load it up. I mean, it, it's it's amazing. Um, I had Neil Summers in my yard last weekend casting, and, and it took him about twenty minutes. But he finally, he when he did, he just looked up at me, and his eyes were like saucers, and he's like, "Holy crap! <laughs> <laughs> that that." I didn't do anything, and he just shot the line the furthest he'd ever shot it. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's because you let the lo- you you let the rod load, and you 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 did everything that we've been talking about. And uh, you know, it's just you know, to compare rods, you have to have a certain level of casting skill. I mean, you know, when I was a kid, I had a I had a 
what did I have? I had a convertible rod. You, you can unscrew the handle and you could flip it into a spinning rod and turn it the other way and it'll be a fly rod. And it was by, uh, it wasn't Fenwick. Who was it? Oh, it'll come to me in the middle of the night. Didn't matter. But I mean, I took that thing everywhere. I took it backpacking, took it everywhere and fished the heck out of it. And it, I caught fish and I enjoyed myself. And, it, and there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, I could cast it just fine. Um, you know, the best rod's probably the one you got in your hand while you're in the stream, right? Um, but, um, but yeah, once you start getting into the that rarefied air and start talking about tapers and rods and stuff, yeah, the, the prices go stupid. And, um, and so then you just learn to make them yourself. You know, it's, uh, it's funny that you guys both, well, Steve did anyway, talked about how you, Steve, you actually preferred the glass when nymphing and stuff like that um, because of the feel of it, where I find the exact opposite. Like, I like, <laughs> I, like to, I like to fish that glass with a dry or an emerger, you know, and swing it. That's fine. And then, you know, I didn't have a real stiff current when I was fishing the flat the other day, you know, when I was bass fishing. I mean, that was a lot of slack water. There wasn't a lot of current pulling at that rod. But when I'm usually when I'm nymphing, like legit nymphing, like dedicated to it, like I don't want a glass for like because that river just I get too much bottom bounce and that river just pulls it too much. And I don't use an indicator or anything either. So I I like I go by feel and rod tip and the glass one just bounces constantly if you're getting enough weight to get down there. So I I actually prefer a graphite fishing where I do in the rogue and and, and <laughs> muskegon in places like that but that's just tell you what you know you 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 ever get down here to fish with me i'm gonna put that st croix in your hand (laughs) and i'll show you why (laughs) i mean and that's the only thing i can tell you as far as like fishing a a a dry fly that that legend ultra is and i'm sure there are better rods don't get me wrong but that it's just amazing how much finesse you can have with laying a, a dry out on the water with that well that well lake. and you fish in some current too don't you i mean you got some the rivers there are pretty it depends we i mean we just got a mix i mean some of the streams you know in the mountains are are fairly small fairly quick water um but then you can go and fish the tailwater of the chattahoochee river and it's don't get wrong it water's moving but it's mm-hmm. it's it's one big mass of water moving it's different <laughs> yeah I, I have, um, so i mean yeah we've got a wide range here i haven't done a lot of stream fishing yet i i, I just right. don't know where that many of them are in fact i gotta scout some places out and and find some but uh and i i have been meaning to go down and fish with neil too because neil's got some great streams where he lives um and that's mostly what he does um i'm i mainly we'll, just we'll stop here in kalamazoo before you go down there yeah i know i we got to do we got to do like a little like like a like a little triangle or something <laughs> there's a lot of places i need to fish yet there's three or four trout rivers between us right now nick mm-hmm. probably more oh but, yeah and michigan's loaded with them but yeah but but no i i you know it it, it you know it just i think i think what's happened now is the, the glass has brought in a resurgence into the into the marketplace and and so they're trying to hit that nostalgic feel and so that the tapers are are they're there's they've slowed them down they they've 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 softened them up so they're not so it's not like casting a graphite rod it's you know mm-hmm. it's, it's casting a, a glass rod and uh you know but you know all these rods can be made 
you know, however you, you, you know, the, the maker wants to do it. And, uh, um, it's just, uh, yeah, it, it, to say one is better than the other, I think is a little bit disingenuous. Oops. Mm-hmm. But, but at the same time, Derek, I mean, I, I would have to say there is no comparison, comparison, at least with the glass rods that I have fished with in the last three or four years, there's no comparison comparing those to the glass rods of 30 years ago. Um, at least not the ones that I, that I tried and fished with back then. I mean, it, yeah, they were just, remember when the glass rods came in, they were trying to, they were, they were, they were trying to compete with the bamboo rods. So, and they were mass produced for general consumption. So, um, and, and so were bamboo rods. Don't get me wrong. There was, there's some mass produced bamboo rods out there too, that were, you know, um, I could rattle off names, but it doesn't matter. But, um, you know, but it's, it's just that when they brought them back recently, they're filling a niche. So, you know, and, and it's probably better material too, to be quite honest. It's, it's not the same glass, right? Um, I mean, bamboos are not bamboo, um, uh, graphites, I'm sure, taken multiple twists and turns in its composition over the years. And, um, well, you got definitely got better manufacturing techniques. Now, I mean, that doesn't necessarily equate to you know something that's handmade like the the the, the split bamboo rods. But you know, there's got to be improvements in the manufacturing process for graphite and fiberglass from what it was 30 years ago. Yeah, I I don't know. I I got some books. I'll send it to you. <laughs> <laughs> you can read all about it. <laughs> I'd be willing to bet that the that the bamboo or excuse me that the uh, graphite and fiberglass rods are still made pretty much the same way on very similar equipment. Um, you think so? Oh yeah, they're rolled on a mandrel between uh, uh, sliding plates and. Uh, that are heated and then they're put in it then they're wrapped and put in an oven they're shrink wrapped and put in an oven to cure and then they pop the mandrel out take the shrink wrap off and that's how you make a graphite and i think that's how they make fiberglass too um and so it's just what that sheeted of material that they're going to roll and heat what it's made out of and how thick it is and how many layers are you know and that's where they're that's where the difference in the manufacturer, a difference in the maker comes into because, you know, um, Halo might use so many layers of this kind of glass versus, and that kind of glass. And then someone else uses a different setup and someone else uses this. And, it, and then they all use different tapers. So, um, you know, and the tapers are kind of closely guarded secrets. No one's going to sell you a, you can't go buy a sage taper. They're going to destroy it because they don't want you to go out there and make a whole bunch of rods that are, essentially equivalent to a sage rod, right? Um, but um, So you're telling me there's no way to re- reverse engineer that? No way to reverse engineer that? I I won't say no. I just say it's more difficult to reverse engineer. Oh, I, I'm sure it might be. Yeah, I definitely could see where it would be more difficult. But Well, you know, mm. what was it? I remember touring a Budweiser brewery years ago, and 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 they said that yeah, that they'll tell anyone how they make beer. All you need is, you know, all this equipment and millions of dollars, and here you go, you can make Budweiser. You know, no, who's gonna who's gonna buy into making you know buying all the equipment you're gonna need to build glass rods? Um, 
I build bamboo rods and I had to I had to make, make an investment in some tools, but they're all pretty much hand tools, right? I'm not buying heated roller plates and things like that. And, and uh, <laughs> but in, in all fairness, how many how many could you turn out in a year? How many could I turn out in a year? If I I think <laughs> if I wasn't working, I could probably build a rod a week. Really? Maybe. Wow. Maybe. If I really okay, you're got, if so I really look, got you're, to it. You're killing me, Smalls. I mean, you're 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 blowing my mind on so many different levels. I mean, <laughs> now you've got me second guessing all my all my glass rods, and is it just nostalgia, or is it are they really better than what I remember? Exactly. And well, then you're going to sit there and tell me you can turn out a because I here's the thing we haven't we I haven't said this yet. I'm, I said I got to cast these things. Those two rods that you had, and you started going through. I think one of them you was talking about it. Well, I, you know, I didn't like the way this turned out. And I'm sitting there going, these things are gorgeous. I mean, they they were absolutely beautiful. And Derek's nitpicking one of them apart. Um, I almost told you, well, just if you hate it so much, I'll take it home with me. But, I mean, they're absolutely beautiful rods. I, I really, when I asked that question, I was expecting you to say something like 10 or 12. But you're saying you could turn out one a week. Ready well, you fish. asked me how if I was cranking. No, no, right? No, that's what I mean. If you if you said if tomorrow you said you know what I'm done with the rat race, I'm gonna build I'm gonna build rods for the rest of my life. Uh, how many? You think you could turn out one a week? I know, I know. They, they, well, so we have uh, we have archery gatherings. Well, there are there are cane rod gatherings because there's a lot of people making making bamboo rods. Um, a lot of guys like me making them in their basement or their garage, and I remember I read an article uh, uh, from one of these gatherings where, and I don't remember how many of them, I don't think it was like six or seven guys, built a fly rod in a weekend. But it took, took, you know, six or seven people making that rod. Because you got you to plane all the strips for all the sections. So if you have a two-section rod and with one tip, yeah, I got to plane six butt, six butt sections and six tip sections and then bring those together. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, it, it does take a, a certain amount of, of, of time. The guy who taught me how to make rods and the, that, that number I gave you is from what he told me, uh, this guy named Ron Barch up in Hastings. Great, great guy. Um, he, uh, he's, he makes a rod in about 40 hours, 40 or 50 hours. He can make a rod total, but he doesn't do it all at once. Right, right, right. But, you know, but he also knows all the steps and has got everything and, you know, and is making them for a long time. You know, that first rod that I made, I think it took me 100 hours um, to make that rod. The second rod probably took, uh, you know, two-thirds of that, maybe half that. Because it was like, oh, okay, I get it. And if you built them a bunch, I think, yeah, I think you could maybe turn out a rod a week. Maybe. I'm pretty sure if I really set my mind to it, I could probably spend 150 to 200 hours and end up with some really volatile fire starter. It's <laughs> <laughs> probably about all that would come out of it with me. So how how did, and you mentioned this guy already, but I mean, at what at what point did you decide, hey, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to build a, a bamboo rod and then... You know what was the, what was the kind of the process that took you from making that 
that decision to try it to actually having a finished rod? Well, that decision took me 19 years, about. Um, so it was right about the time we moved to Michigan. Um, we moved to Michigan uh, right in the in January of, 20, of 2000, excuse me. And uh, I had made fly rods uh, out of graphite. I had made, made several fly rods out of graphite. I don't know, maybe half a dozen. Um, and somewhere or another, I know that they had these cane gatherings up in Grayling and these, these cane, cane rod gatherings. And I looked it up and you could take a class. It was a week long class. It cost, I don't know, twelve, fifteen hundred $1,500. They're about $2,000 now if you want to do it, but it takes you a week and you show up for one of these classes and you show up on a on a on sunday night and 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 on friday you leave and you have a blank ready to put the hardware on if you if you go to one of these these uh, uh cane rod building courses but i never had the i never had the uh either i didn't have the money but more importantly i didn't have the time i had two toddlers and i had a brand new job and we just moved halfway across the country and so that idea went away and then about every three years this idea would surface and meanwhile i think i built three or four more rods. And then um, I got way into sporting clay shooting, shotgun, clay pigeons, and then I got into archery. And then, you know, but seemed like every three or so years, I'd get this idea and I'd go look up bamboo fly rods. And well, it happened again, fall of 2019. Um, but this time when I got online, I found a forum, classic fly rod forum, Neat forum, by the way. Um, and so I logged on and I said, hey, a new guy here in, in, in Kalamazoo. You know, this is an interesting place. I, I'm, I'm excited to see the conversations. And this guy hit me up right away and he says, oh, well, you, you know, if you're into this, you got to call this guy in Hastings. And just on a lark, I said he gave me his number and on a lark, I gave him a I gave him a call. And and we had a lot in common. And uh, uh, he's an archer. Um, I got a quick aside. I've, I've, I've since met some other of these cane guys. And one of the guys I met is his name. I got his card here is, uh, Chuck Olnachak. Olnach that is so funny. Yeah. He was the first TikTok editor for stick. He was, and he lives in Lowell. Yes. And, and he makes uh, bamboo fly rods. Yep. So get this, Derek, this is another aside, but this is a small world. So I work in, so I work in marketing at Grand Valley State University and in print a lot, or I, we're doing a lot more. I'm, I'm more in multimedia now, but when I, I first kind of, I think five or six into work years into working there, he's like a, he's like a, a, a paper rep. Right. That's his, so his he, card here yes. is a paper company. So he came in and he had seen, I forget how he got to, he found out that I was associated with the MLA. And um, he he came in and handed me one day, he handed me um, two really nice Osage staves. <laughs> and, he, and he says, here, see what you can do with that. And, and he goes... Yeah, I used to be the editor of Stick Talk, and and he gave me his card and and all that, and I thought, oh, that's funny. Does anybody know this guy? And I was talking to people, and they didn't know who he was. Nobody had ever heard of him. And I'm like, I'm like, well, why aren't you using these? He goes, because I make bamboo fry rods now, and that's all I do. 
And I'm like, wow, that's that is such a small world that you ended up meeting him too, and and yeah, <laughs> yeah, wow. So, but but anyway, uh, so anyway, no, I, so go back to my story. But I I called Ron Barch up, and I and we got to, uh, we hit it off. He's he just turned seventy three this year. He's a retired school teacher, and uh, he makes fly rods, sells fly rods, and uh, he used to teach the week long classes, but he doesn't do that anymore. He just teaches out of his garage and. He pretty much said, you know, you pay me by the hour and, and, you know, if you're competent with the tools, since there's a lot of repetition, I'll show you how to do one strip and you just take all this stuff home and do the rest and then come back for the next step. And so that's how we worked it. So I went up there a couple times a week and after work and uh, got the next couple steps going and then I got home and did it and uh, and ended up. It's really funny, you know, you, you, you do all this, you, you, you start with this round piece of bamboo. I mean, it's just a, it's a comb of bamboo and, and you split it and with a knife and you got to work all the nodes and flatten all these nodes. You go through all these processes and then you make all these really super long triangles and, and then eventually about half, you know, two thirds of the way through it, you glue it up and it starts to look like a fly rod. And it's just, it's amazing because you have, at first, you just have all these strips that are super fragile. They come down to like 25 thousandths of an inch is, is, is how small you're making these triangles for the tip part. And and then uh, and then all of a sudden, you put them all together, and you, you just like it, you have a fly rod. You have this thing that starts looking like a fly rod, and it's just really cool. Um, I thought it was really cool. So since the... You, Bamboo comes in 12-foot lengths, and we used half of it for one rod. I built a second rod. Those two rods that I have, um, I built a second rod about two or three steps behind, and I did it all on my own and uh, at the same time. So um, so I was just, yeah, I was just, there was just nothing in the basement but bamboo shavings um, for a while. Lots and lots of shavings. <laughs> <laughs> and is it, is it? And I know I th- I'm almost positive I asked you this and you've already told me, but it, it, is it Tonkin cane or is it bamboo? Yes, it is bamboo. Specifically, it is Tonkin cane. And I could give you the anatomical botany name if you want. But no, it's, yeah, it's Tonkin cane from the Tonkin Valley in, uh, in China. It's got the right amount of power fibers in the right place. Which means it, it has the right it has the power fibers get thicker and thicker and denser and more of them as you get to the outer edge of the bamboo, and so you and that's um, and the when you make a when you see a bamboo fly rod and you see the the facets of the hexagon or the pentagon or the square I mean there's all kinds of crazy ways you can make a bamboo fly rod. Um, what you're seeing is that outer edge. The maker didn't touch the outside of the bamboo. All the planing happened on the inside. And so you're planing away all the pith and all the stuff that that, that has less power fibers and you're leaving all those, that thick, uh, uh, dense power fiber region is, is, is right at the, at, at the top. Um, and so that's what you see. You see, so you essentially see the outside of the of the of the bamboo in each of the facets. Mm. But you, 
so what would would have been as it was growing what would have been the outside of that cane shaft stalk whatever you want to call it you you still have to sand the nodes down though right yeah the the bamboo is going to um yeah the bamboo grows and 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 the nodes spread out and um when you're buying bamboo to make a fly rod the further apart the nodes are the more expensive that base of bamboo gets um because that means you have less of them to deal with in your rod and the people that sell the bamboo know this um (laughs) (laughs) is it but but other other than remove the nodes are you doing anything else on the on the out? I mean, do you? Because I and the re, I'm asking this for a, a bit of a reason, I guess. Is you know when you're dealing with like um, river cane to make primitive arrows, there's a there's like a wax that is on the outside of that entire shaft right. naturally. So yeah, is that is, something you have to deal with with a cane, or do there you isn't have to an enamel on the outside of the bamboo that typically comes off during the process. There's not any really particular step where you take it off. It's just that by the time you get done with everything, it's gone. Gotcha. Um, so in, in there, it's, it's a powdery, it's very thin, and, and it's very hard, and it's, it's not very fibrous. It comes off. Usually you sand it off, and it's, 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 it's kind of powdery. Um, and you don't want to get... You don't want to sand into that because, like I said, as these power fibers are going down the length of the rod, they're going from the, you know, down the entire section. Mm-hmm. And if you, just like a bow, if you break into those fibers, you you weaken the rod. And so, you know, if you accidentally play in the wrong face, that tip's bad. It's done. You, you mm. make a new one. Um, and there's a lot of checks and balances as you're going along because you know, you're not making these on machines. You're making these, you know, you're, you're, you're planing these by hand. And when you're doing final planing, I mean, I'm planing off, you know, one one thousandth of an inch curls. That's how about how thick they are. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes there might even be less than that. You just, it's like running a scraper. You know how fine those uh, curls can be when you run a scraper on an Osage rod um, or bow. Um but the um, but you never you're never going into the into the power fibers with those. But the nodes the nodes are the the nemesis of the of the bamboo fly rod um, because there's a little hitch. It's it's where the bamboo grows, and and so there's a bump and there's a there's a whole process that you have to deal with with the nodes, and that's probably. I mean. The node dealing with the nodes in bamboo is where all the problems are, uh, for the most part. I won't say all, but most of your problems are. And if you have a problem with a rod, it's going to be at a node because something wasn't addressed right earlier in the process, and that mistake was carried through, um, and the rod fails as a node. Um, it's typically what's going to happen. There's a whole bunch of guys that actually cut the nodes out. And they make scarf joints, and then they make a nodeless fly rod. So that's so. I was getting ready to ask you that. So uh, I think um, so. A couple things: if if you're looking at a bamboo fly rod, in most cases, it's it's going to be like a uh, I guess a hexagon. 
Is that the Yeah, in most cases it'll be a most hex. cases. Yeah. And each one of those each one of those flat the flat surfaces that runs the length of the rod, each one of those is a separate strip of bamboo that you've um planed. Right. Each sanded, one of those is it made so you gotta go back to basic geometry and I know Nick loves math. Um <laughs> But the hexagon is six isosceles triangles. So all of the sides of each of the six triangles are the same, are the are equal. Right. It's an equilateral triangle, and um, and so each of those facets, you know, goes down to the middle, and 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 so if you were to chop a bamboo fly rod, if you were to cut it, you would see that it's solid. That's why they're heavier. Hmm. Right, right. There's no there's no hollow core. Right. Now, there's ways you can make them with hollow cores, and there's ways that guys have done all kinds of crazy stuff um, making hollow fly rods, uh, bamboo fly rods, but that's, that's a real art. So in a, in a, in a, t- and this is where I was going with this next question. So, and we'll, we'll use yours for example. I mean, your, your rods are, um, how many, what, how many sections are, are in the rods that you had? Just two. Just two. Now, there's two questions I want to ask there. One, is the, is the, is each one of those tapers the full length of the rod and you cut it to make the, the two piece takedown? And do you keep those matched up as pairs or is there, separate pieces in there that somehow are overlapped. And the question I'm trying to get to is if you're dealing with these nodes and the nodes is typically the problem, do the nodes stay in alignment or do you try to stagger those? No, you stagger them. Right. So that's one of the the early steps in building a rod is once you've got all all your strips uh, split off of the cane and you're looking at all these strips and you've done some node prep, and you've done a lot of well. Yes, at some point you you got to cut. You, you got to decide. Okay, I'm making a seven weight rod or a seven foot rod. It's eighty four inches, so it's forty two inches on each half. Sorry, more math, Nick. Um, I'm hanging in there, man. And okay, and so 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 I'm gonna have I'm gonna be working with strips that are forty two inches long, and and then I add five inches on either end. I was going to say slop, but I I add five inches on either end to give me some trim clearance. And so I have a 52-inch piece of bamboo, right? Follow me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, don't, yeah, look, don't right. look at I'm me. Sorry. I just heard silence. I'm like, oh, no, I lost him. Um, <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm with you. And then, I was just and then what I'll do before I make any cuts, though, is I'll, I'll lay some marks on my bench, and I'll take all these these – uh, strips and I'll lay them in order that they came off of the comb. In other words, I keep the strips next to each other as 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 where they in relation to where they grew on the uh, in the bamboo. Mm-hmm. So strip one is always going to be next to strip two, strip three, strip four, etc. Anyway, and then I those two rods are what we call a three by three offset. And what I've done is I've taken all of the odd strips, the one, three, and the five, and I've offset them about the halfway between the nodes. So I've offset those. And and once I get them all set, then I'll cut them. 
And then what I do is you, you kind of try to figure out where you're going to cut because if you can bury a couple nodes in the handle, then you don't have to deal with them. If you can bury a node in a ferrule, you don't, you, it, it, you don't have to deal with it as much. But there's always going to be a few nodes that are in this middle of your that you're going to have to, you know, deal with. Right. And so, so that's kind of, you, you, you kind of, you just kind of give this sliding scale until you say, okay, I'm going to cut it here. And then what, what that does for you, since I've done a three by three pattern, is when I put that rod together, you probably didn't notice, but no nodes are next to each other. And so there, there's a, there's a, if you look at a node, it's neck right next to it is the middle of a, you're in between nodes. So it's a node, no node, and it's, you know, clear, and then a node, and then clear, then a node. So every other one will have a little node, and then it'll be the opposite going, the, you know, as I go up, and then they'll kind of go back and forth up the rod. And Yeah, that makes sense. And so... Um, so the one, three, and the fives will all be in the same position. And then the next time you see a node, it'll be the two, fours, and the sixes. And then the next time it'll be back to the one, three, fives. And, and it'll do that all the way up the rod. And, um, and that's by design to keep them that way. And there's other ways that guys have laid out patterns. There's two by two by two patterns. There's, uh, the grandfather of this whole thing, this guy Garrison, um, he, uh, he lays out his in a staggered spiral pattern as the firing of a six-cylinder engine. I don't know. He was a automotive engineer or something. But, you know, so there's all kinds of esoteric ways guys who can lay out the nodes. Um, yeah, I'll just have you build it. But you still have to deal with the nodes. The nodes are the, are the real hard part. I have two more rods in construction in the basement. I'm building one, and I was walking my youngest son through, through a rod. And he was, he was commenting on, he was starting to complain about how long we were spending on the nodes. And I said, well, the more we spend on the nodes now, the less we have spent, you know, if we can do all of the node work now, then when we get done with the glue up, we'll end up with a straight rod that we won't have to fix when it comes yeah, after a glue up. It'll just glue up and it'll be straight. And, and that's what we're after, dealing with all these nodes. Because the nodes are where the kinks are. Mm-hmm. And there's all kinds of ways to burn to get the kinks out. It's like you're just trying to get little hitches out of there, just like on a bow. That's now uh, I'm going way over the deep end. Sorry. Yeah, hey, no problem, man. No, it's okay. Hey, how many rods have you built so far? I've had built four. Okay, so you've built four. All right. Yep. I have built four, and I've got a bunch of bamboo in the basement, and uh, some from Chuck. Chuck sold me some bamboo, uh, and uh, yeah, it's a sickness. Oh man, I bet. So one one question that I have real quick, Derek, is when you so you finish you finish all these tapers, you've got this rod laid out, and then you well, actually I've got a lot of questions, but the first question <laughs> I'll ask is so you 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 get you glue this thing up. Now, does it typically when when it you come you take it out of the form, whatever it is that that holds everything together while it's being uh, glued up is it typically straight or is there a process you have to go through after the fact to straighten it you know the more once we everything's can prep glued the up. nodes and the more we can work the nodes and 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 the straighter we can make the strips before we glue them up um the straighter uh it comes off of the glue and uh what i, I guess what i'm asking is 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 it i mean does it does it 
well, is there a straightening process no matter how good you are? Or it, can you can you get this to the point where it comes out straight, ready to fish? All you have to do is mount the hardware. So someone listening to this is going to just tell me, is going to say I'm just totally full of myself. But those two rods that, that you cast, I did not have to straighten when I took them, took them off when they got done gluing up. So... So we Very worked nice. yeah. the nodes, and we worked everything as as to, you know just as much as we possibly could, um, so that we would minimize any problems coming out of the out of the glue up. Um, and when you glue them up, there's no form. You literally um, uh, you take all these sections, you lay them in order. Now you got these these really fine triangles, and you you stack them uh, the the enamel side down. On a piece of a uh, couple pieces of masking tape, and you put them in order. So you, and the whole time you're keeping track of, of, you know, strip one, strip two, strip three, and um, and then you roll them up around the masking tape, and you essentially uh, you you make your little hexagon that way. And then once you get them all in this bundle, then you can slit open the. The masking tape lay them back open then you we use a two-part glue not really an epoxy it's an old uh, urea formaldehyde glue but um and you slather that on them and you roll them back up and then i use a, a, a string binder and we actually wind string around them and and then there's some there's some little straightening things you do you do some you do some rolling and you do some you do some other stuff while it's still wet you know the glue hasn't set yet and then when we when we set the glue, we we're hanging them, and we put a weight on them so that you know we're trying to keep them as straight as possible the whole time. And if you do everything right, and then once it comes out straight, and then and then after that, is there a uh, like a sanding cleanup process before you actually? Yeah, because once you you get this you get the string off, and then there's little ridges of glue up and down the thing, and and so then you 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 use a sanding block, and. The glue sands white, the rod sands tan. So you sand until you start to see a little bit of tan, then you move to the next section. And you just work your way down the rod. That's why I said we kind of, by the time you're all done building this thing, you've sanded away that 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 coating off of the outside of the bamboo. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then the, the finish is just a, a urethane? So What's the... I did two different finishes. So I, I do a tongue oil finish first. And I use a true oil, same stuff you use on a gun stock. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we'll we'll put a layer of true oil on as soon as we get done with the sanding. That's to seal it. And um, and then we'll I used on on the smaller rod I used a a wipe on poly uh, wood finish. And the sec the other rod I used spar varnish. And, and okay. And so. I think the wipe on was a whole heck of a lot easier. The spar varnish is definitely more traditional. And by the way, true oil, there's actually some boyers that use that as a finish too. Right. Well, mm-hmm. I'm putting a finish on top of the true oil, but you know, I've spent a lot of time working these 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 pieces of bamboo and and I don't want them to start bringing on a lot of moisture. So at that mm-hmm. point, you know, We've got a lot of raw surfaces exposed, so we we seal it pretty quick after you know when we're done with the with that sanding that final sanding, and we're we're happy with everything. 
uh, and you might have done at that point we might do some straightening we can heat it with a heat gun and you can bend it and you know and try to straighten it if you if you have a little problem and then uh, and then we'll seal it um, and then work on the finish well I'll be honest Derek it all it it just sounds amazing I honestly don't think I have the the patience in me to do it, but I I wish you lived closer. I'd love to just drop by and, and watch for a while. I see. I would. It really sounds I would, cool. I would say no way, Steve. You got tons of patience. How many strings you make this week? Well, let's see. This past weekend, um, 30, 30, 30 some. I don't remember the exact number. Mid thirty uh, takes me an hour to make a string, so I'd be halfway through a fly rod by then. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's just all what you want to do. You know, the thing that got me really excited about bamboo was first of all, I, I found this guy who was teaching me how to do it, and I was just tickled pink that I was actually finally learning how to do this. And and to be honest, I had never bought a bamboo rod. I mean, who who can who can afford a fifteen hundred dollar rod, right? And and who's going to spend that much on a rod? <laughs> And you know, hell, I think a, I think a Winston, <laughs> Winston bamboo rods are three grand, and I think I just got the new Orvis catalog, and they're about three thousand bucks. And you're like, holy crap! Sorry, this is this is family show, um, but you know they're real expensive. So I, I had my old grandpa's, my grandpa's old fly rod that I had broken a tip on when I was a kid, you know, you know, playing with it when I shouldn't have been, and. And somewhere along the line, someone had broke the other tip. It was a traditional for to build two tips for a bamboo fly rod. But, um, you know, I, I really hadn't purchased any any bamboo fly rods. I didn't know, I didn't know squat about a bamboo rod. But I took this, I, I learned to, how to make them, and then, and it was just like, you know, I got to peek, you know, on the other side of the curtain, and 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 there's the rich history. You know, going back to the 1800s and or even earlier, and then uh, and then the amount of of modern knowledge and 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 the idea of making a taper and making I really want to make a series of like four or five four weight seven foot bamboo fly rods and different tapers because I really want to play and understand this whole idea of taper. And and the science to send me says, well, then you got to, the scientific method says you need to vary one variable, right? And so I need to make identical rods that just are different by the by their by the nature of their taper. And I try to keep everything else the same. And 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 the the I have books. I have hundreds of tapers um, from uh, from all the old masters and all the you know a lot of these things are all known. And so if I want to build a rod that, you know, that Teddy Roosevelt had, I could probably find the taper. And, uh, um, uh, it's just, it's just really cool being able to do that, which I can never do with the gra graphite or the, or the fiberglass. I had to buy a blank and then I was beholden onto whatever they had made it. I, all I did was install the hardware. I didn't really make a fly rod. And, and so I, you know, I've made, I've installed hardware on a lot of fly rods. I've only made two so far, and I got two more in, pro in progress because I've truly made them. I decided on the taper and the action and how it's going to feel when I when I cast it. That's the cool part to me. It it it's it definitely sounds cool. Um, 
It was definitely a lot of fun to cast them. Um, I will definitely never spend $1,500 on a fly rod. <laughs> uh, I'll be perfectly honest. It would be the biggest waste of $1,500 because I can tell you I have, I have fished with and I've cast rods anywhere from the $200 range to the $800 range. I've never gone above that, but I have, I've never, now I've never owned, actually I can't say that I have owned one that cost 800 bucks, <laughs> but it was, it was a nine weight with a T-bore riptide and it was a lot of money. But anyway, what I'm getting at is while I can tell the difference in certain rods when I'm casting it, I can't tell a six, seven, $800 difference in a rod. I'm just, and, and I'm not saying there that somebody can't justify it and tell me a reason why what I'm saying is I know my casting abilities and I know I can catch fish with my casting abilities and I just don't need a, I don't need a $1,500 See, rod to do it. You know, um, it's, it's, yeah. it's interesting. You know, you go to these fly shops and let's just talk about the, the standalone fly shop, not the, you know, uh, sportsman's sure. warehouse or whatever. And, and not that that's bad, but just, you know, Regular fly shop, you stop in the fly shop in Grayling or whatever, or wherever you're at. You know, how many guys will sit there and say, I want to cast all the five weight rods on the rack and find the one I like? No one does that, right? But they should. Hopefully, if someone gets done with this listening to this podcast, they go down to the fly shop and they go, I want to cast all the five weights, or I want to cast all your seven weights because I want to go bass fishing, or I want to cast all your three weights. Um, and find the one that they like, you know, but, but they make so, a lot of assumptions. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a Scott rod. It yeah. costs $900. It's got to be good. Well, you know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. It might match your cadence. It might not. You might pick it up and really have to adjust the way you cast your, your personal cast to match that rod. And that, you know, if you're not good, if you, if you, that might not be so easy for some people to do. And so they might just pick up a rod and all of a sudden they're like casting and they're like having a great time with it. And it doesn't matter the cost, you know. So I can truthfully tell you I did that one time. And I won't say the name of the company, but I will just say it's probably one of the best world known fly fishing fly rod companies (laughs) in the world. And I'll leave it at that. Um, and I cast pretty much everything that they had. I believe that was in a four weight at the time from, um, what they, and they've got various, you know, uh, slow, medium, fast, ultra fast, all this stuff. I can truthfully tell you, I hated every one of them. And and I I shouldn't say hate's a bad word. I disliked, I didn't, I did not like the feel of any of them. I didn't feel like I could cast any of them as well as what I already had. None of them. Turned your whoopee crank um, to where you were going to separate your dollars for a fly rod. No, and the, and it was all price ranges. I mean, I I really I probably spent three hours taking rods out in the park, and then I know they were ticked off, and I said, "No, I don't know." <laughs> I don't, yeah, uh, because I I wasted a lot of time with for them. That wasn't wasted time for me, and I just didn't like it. And I will tell you that when we went. Um, to Wyoming a couple of years ago, Tom and I, we spent a lot of time fishing and two things there. One, you want to, you want to, for me anyway, I, I thought I was a decent fly caster until I sat there and watched Tom. <laughs> and it, 
if I if I didn't think you know they would never find the body, I would have probably shoved him down in the water. <laughs> um, it was just, I mean, just sick to watch and casting in high wind with a. I think it was a little three weight, and I'm just sitting there going, "This is insane." Um, but he was actually using a rod by that same manufacturer, and. Again, I, I was able to fish with it, and I'm not trying to put the blame on my casting ability on the rod again. I, but it's just, it, I just don't, something about that company, I don't, their, their rods just well, don't Well, you know, that's them. why you need to find the fly shop that's not, you know, a one-stop pony, right? You want to find the guy that's selling three or four different kinds of rods and different manufacturers. Um, you know, maybe the big box store. Go to the, you know, Sportsman's Warehouse, because they carry, you know, a whole bunch of different rods and all price po- price points. And, but I don't, I've never seen anyone go out in the parking lot and cast, which is interesting. Next time I'm at Sportsman, we just got a new one here in Kalamazoo. I'm going to, I might just do that just for giggles and grins. But, um, but, you know, you, 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 you it's like cars. You got to test drive them. You got to, you know, the other, and this is off the deep end, but I mean, motorcycles are the same way. No one goes into a, and test drives a freaking motorcycle. You got to go buy the dang thing, and then you drive it, and then you decide whether you like it. It's just like it's crazy. Um, and fly rods are the same way. People buy these rods because they're they buy a name, and then you know, and it's either it fits them and it suits them, and everything is great, and they're happy, or they're like, eh, uh, you know, they got they're they got they don't like it. Yeah, Mudri. Well, I've Mudri. done I've done both. Go yep. ahead, Nick. I'm sorry. Oh, no problem. Uh, my first rod was a like a prestige package, which was just like a you know super stiff like sure five weight, and I had that in the water one time, and you know that's when I realized you know how much I loved it, and Mudri and I were fishing again, and he said, I said, you know what, you know nothing was biting. I said, man, I'm going to Cabela's, <laughs> you know at the time, and. He's like, yeah, let's go to Cabela's, man. And I went there and I started, I'm like, I was already somewhat committed and I already spent some money. So I was kind of like, you know, whatever when I got there. He's like, well, trade that one in and get and spend another 50 to 70 bucks and see what the difference is. But, you know, when we get there, let's let's cast some rods. So, yeah, we went out in the parking lot and I, I think I, I cast it, uh, you know, some... I, I think I tried, you know, an Orvis and a TFO and a sure and you know Cabela's rod and and I ended up with you know and I cast all those rods and they were all different actions and I actually settled on a um, my Vector, which is a medium. It's a medium rod. Like it's not a it's it's not a fast graphite. It's like a medium graphite. Right. Medium fast. I think they call it. And I could cast that one so much better, you know, after just doing it out in the parking lot for a while but you know it's kind of an embarrassing thing too because if you're like especially if you're new or you're not that good i mean if you know to go out in a parking lot and cast in front of a sales rep and everybody else who's walking in and, and you know stuff like that it's yeah kinda, yeah it could be a little intimidating it can be but but, uh, but you know but that rod matched your cadence right and you mm-hmm. didn't have to match the rod so you know that rod was working with it with you now now you're you've probably gotten better since then and you probably can match your cadence now to other rods and do just fine. Um, mm-hmm. But you still pick up certain rods that you don't have to. You don't have to figure them out. They just work. And yep. um, I mean, when I was a, I was lawn casting I, with my friend Ron when we were we were deciding on the taper I was going to make, and and he and he 
pretty much handed me the rod that I have. And, and he said, well, try this one. And I was like, okay, I wanted a rod to take out to Wyoming, uh, excuse me, to take out to Utah to fish the Green River in the springtime. Um, and so big water, big fish, uh, you know, R Rocky Mountains could be windy. So I, I settled on this this particular taper that's that's really suited for that kind of stuff, uh, that action rod. And um, and I was casting on the lawn and Ron just kept, you know, he was coaching me a little bit because I get the rod and I'm, line, I'm going and I'm casting. And he's like, you know, he just kind of give me this. He's always got these little sayings, but he just looks at me and says, you know, that's not a graphite rod. Slow down. You know, and I did. I kind of had to match my cadence because I'd been a whole lifetime casting these different, you know, these, these graphite rods. And once I slowed down and I loaded that lineup, I, I probably got another 20, 20 yards off of the thing. And, you know, it was insane the amount of distance I was getting in the grass. Um, and so now distance isn't everything. I mean, you know, I fish this little creek here and, and the rods, you can't cast more than 20 feet anyway. So, mm -hmm. doesn't matter. Definitely, same here. You know, so yep. that's why I like that's why I like my little two right. weights. You know, so you fish a short mm -hmm. a short weight rod and, and off you go. Um, but um, but yeah, I uh, uh, yeah, I just I got I got into these bamboos and I just had a whole lot of fun with it. I mean, so so Nick, um, tip of the day, best best advice you're going to hear all week. The next time you're going to go to a, a place to, to try out some fly rods, pick up a rod, find a place inside the store with good lighting, and then practice like you're making a cast and bust a fluorescent light tube inside the store. <laughs> and they will be, they will one, they'll be happy to get you outside and let you start trying to cast outdoors. And two, they really won't be paying any attention to whether you're exactly. or not. So, well, you know, actually you say that, but when I walked into the store and I was checking out some rods and, you know, like, you know, John was like, we'll pick it up and, you know, just, you just see how it, feel how it loads, you know, and he's whipping around. I picked it up. And the first time I did that, I almost knocked over an entire rack of, uh, of Orvis rods. <laughs> Like in the and the guy said the same thing. He's like, I think we better go outside and try this. <laughs> there was, there you go. Pretty, it was pretty funny. Yeah, uh, but yeah, they're long but, and you know and and yeah, funny. You know, I, traditionally bamboo rods come with two tips, and and you're supposed to use a different tip every other day. So if you're on a big fishing trip, you know, you use one tip on the even days and one tip on the odd days, and and because you know they will take a set after a certain amount of time um, and you will break them. And, and I can tell you that the same, um, it's the same culprit, no matter what the rods made out of the most dangerous thing for your fly rod is your car, your car door, your hatchback, or your screen door on the cabin. That's another good one, especially those old, those really old school ones that have the big long spring on them. Those are, <laughs> Tremendous. Yeah. Those will break fly rods like you wouldn't believe, and it doesn't matter what it's made out of. And uh, and so I always tell people that, you know, we get to a fishing spot, we put on our gear, we put on our waders, put on our boots, get our vest on, and then we put the takes the rods out of the case and put the reel on and go fishing. And then when we come back, the first thing we do while we're standing there, and I don't care if we're sweating because we've been in the neoprenes all day and we're just dying, we're putting that rod away. And then, uh, 
because I tell you, I've broken rods. I've broken almost every fly rod I've owned, and and a few of them have been on fish, but most of them have been in car doors, <laughs> hatchbacks, you name it. Just stupid things. Someone's stepping on it because it fell over, and you're like, oh, okay, that's fine where it is. And someone goes around the end of the car and crunch, and you're like, oh, man. So, so yeah, the, just make sure that this, it's the last thing you do when you get out of the car, and it's the first thing you do when you get back is you put that rod away or you take it out of the case again. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Derek, we, we, we've, I just looked down and realized that we're, we're kind of over where we, where I'd planned to be, which is okay. That's good. But I do want to, I do want to kind of wrap this thing up. I, we kept you long enough. I will say that, uh, and Derek, you're going to know exactly who I'm talking about and probably get a kick out of this. Nick, probably not so much, but for Nick, uh, in relation to your your comments about the car doors and the screen doors and the hatchbacks, and for anybody else listening that's never done this, when you got 20 or 30 minutes to spare and you just really need a good laugh, get on YouTube and do a search for Bill Dance oh, bloopers. Oh, yes. I've watched those. <laughs> uh, if, have you seen them, Nick? I think you sent me a link. Yeah, I think I did. Uh, no, I don't think I did, but, you but sure? yeah, you need to do a search and, and find. I will do that. I tonight. think it's like. I think it's like three or four of them, and if if you've ever fished in your life, and probably if you haven't fished in your life, you just you will not be able to stop laughing. Bella Bella's never done any, that much fishing, but she, I mean, she sat there and just hurts till her sides oh, hurt. But um, I mean, so, all yeah. the antics. I remember I lost a fly. I, I was this was a regular a regular bait casting rod, but I mean, I was fishing with my kids and my when my parents lived in Texas. And we had the kids on the boat. They were really small, so we're trying to deal with them. We're putting bait on, and we're fishing under under this causeway, and it's salt water. And and one of the kids is screaming, and I remember turning around, and it was just that long, and the and the shrimp was dangling an inch above the water from the boat. A fish came out of the water, took it, and the whole rod went down with it. Just pulled the whole rod off the boat. Because <laughs> oh, I, was, no. I was turned around dealing with the screaming kid, and then all of a sudden, boom rod's gone you're like what the heck just happened so yeah <laughs> it's it it's well crazy. Derek, we 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 have really really enjoyed having you on um we're gonna do this yeah. again uh yeah i can um, babble on forever um <laughs> not a problem um yeah we definitely have to get you guys in the shop here nick we got to get you down here to kalamazoo and and do some fishing and uh at least sit on the deck and yeah, have a beer or something. Happen, man. Absolutely. Go to, we go to, to Bells that. or something. Actually, there's some really good fishing oh, right really fine. close to Bells. So we can go fishing and then just go with our stinky fishing clothes right into the beer garden. Oh, it wouldn't bother me at all. <laughs> it wouldn't bother anybody. <laughs> so um, Nobody that knows you would be surprised by that, Nick. <laughs> The I, I'm, in, I'm infamous in Kalamazoo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a, a, a few a few years at the expo, and I'm already infamous. There you go. There you uh, go. But, um, uh, but no, yeah, I. It's just yeah. It, I'm glad you guys called me. It's been a lot of fun. I don't know what I didn't know where you wanted to, do to it go ever with since this conversation, ever, ever, but we just sort of went with it. That's good. Yeah, yeah it, I think it went I, to a lot of great places. Good. I think it was a I think it was a great chat. So you know maybe we'll uh, hope might get some. Get might get some feedback from listeners, so you know, leave us a leave us I put a, a couple pictures up on if you on the outdoors. Some of my recent exploits with the fish, 
Yeah, I saw those. So, uh, I saw those. But if you got questions for Derek, throw them out on the on the website. But I will tell you, Derek, don't don't answer them. We'll just get you back on here to <laughs> we'll just write them. Down. We'll get back get you back on here to <laughs> talk right. through them. Absolutely. There you go. All okay, right, guys. Well, Derek, thank you so All much. Right. It's been a Nick, going to be my pleasure. It's yep, definitely been hours. Absolutely. And Nick, thanks for being my my partner in crime tonight. Yeah, no problem, man. And y'all take care. And for everyone else, stay safe out there. Get out and get fishing. And uh, if you're not already doing so, you better be getting ready for, for fall hunting oh, seasons. It'll, it'll be here before you know it. All right. Take care, all. Good night.